0: Hello and welcome to the Impact Podcast from us at Impact Wales, We're Finn and Jane and every week we'll be bringing you lots of discussion, comments and opinion on everything research and education. We'll be talking professional learning, what's happening in the education world and everything in between to help you make a difference in your school. Hello, Jane. So what are we talking about today? Well, Finn, we've actually taken a look at one of our most popular episodes. It's, it's quite a way back. It's episode 35 um, and it's our conversation we have with Jared Cooney. Orva, we actually talked to Jared about the new t- trajectory. Can put my teeth back in, uh, and it was a real light bulb moment for I think for both of us when we yeah, recorded this podcast because it was. This is pre-lockdown, wasn't it? When we did we did no, we this COVID. is this is back in March of 2021. So oh, we oh, had right, a couple of go. lockdowns, yes, but it go. was still very much in the early days. And I remember this one, we <clears throat> Jared was in Australia. That's right. And we were and it was trying to negotiate a time that was suitable to record this, but we did it, we did we did, it which was it, great. Yes. Um but our thinking and understanding has really moved on a lot since then. But this is really a pivotal podcast for us, and it's one that's really worthwhile going back to. Absolutely. And I think that it's something to listen out for in the podcast is Jared's explanation of how people learn and and what we know from research about how that learning happens. So have a listen. Our In Conversation with guest today is Jared cooney Horvath, a cognitive neuroscientist with expertise in human learning, memory and brain stimulation. In the last couple of years, he's been on a mission to bring his brain and behavioural research to teachers and schools to help them understand what's going on during the learning process. Jared, good morning from our end. Good evening on your end.
1: Thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, you have 10am to my 9pm. So we're a little different time zones, but we can make this work.
0: You're in Melbourne, Australia, aren't you?
1: Yes, ma'am. So down under where it's nice and warm. We had a very hot day and I think you guys are just going into winter now. So well, no, wait, you're going into summer, we're going into winter. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're spring. kind of, yes. we're,
0: well, it's spring, spring in Wales, which is, no. you know, winter yeah. everywhere. <laughs> We've got the daffodils out, so we're okay. Yeah,
1: so, <laughs> so that's all that matters. Well, yeah. we, then that means I got cold to look forward to. So now I'm not as happy anymore.
0: Well, the thing is, your cold is like our, our yeah, summer. Yeah, so. Yeah. so there we go. <laughs> yeah, it you're all lucky evens lucky. out yeah. in the end, doesn't it? Anyway, so <laughs> thank you, um, Jared, for being here today. Can we start with how your background, because you've had quite a varied background. How has your background prior to becoming a neuroscientist actually shaped what you do now? Yeah,
1: so I actually, I started oddly enough in film and in theater, and that kind of brought me into teaching because right. I just loved, I, I thought teaching would be like performing. Um, and at some levels it certainly is, but on yeah, other it levels is, yeah. it most certainly is not. And so even though I, I got into teaching, just thinking, oh, this will be fun. Nope. That became my passion. That was, I fell in love with teaching really. And I realized how bad I am at some aspects of it. And it gave me a really good challenge to see, could I improve? Like it's, it's not just game shows. It's not just hosting. There's actual structure to the things we have to do. And I just, I, I became enamored with it. But back when I was teaching, that's when the brain stuff then became super popular. So I thought, well, cool. That's another tool I can use, right? If I know the brain, that'll help me be a better teacher. And what was only meant to be about one or two years at uni has now blossomed into 15 years. Like it's kind of a black hole university and I've just gotten (laughs) stuck in it. And I have every intention of getting back to the classroom at some point once I wrap all of this stuff up. But really the only reason I ever studied this stuff and why I continue to study what's called the science of learning is to bring it back to teachers, to schools to say, here's the good stuff. Here's the stuff we can use. Here's the nonsense. So really I take everything I'm coming from comes from a teaching angle and goes right back into teaching. So that's why I love what I do.
0: Because that that is actually pretty unusual that you find an academic, somebody who is looking very much at the research and the the, uh, science of learning, how that actually works in the brain. It's very unusual that you also have real proper in the classroom with children teaching experience.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the, the big problems. I don't want to say problem, but just one of the big issues with what we call translation in the science of learning. How do I take knowledge from the laboratory and make it applicable in the classroom? And what you'll find is, yeah, the vast majority of researchers have no clue what happens in a classroom. They're like the rest of the world. They think they do. They're like, oh, I've been to school, so I know what to say. So what you'll do is you'll get these really weird bits of translation where, like, a researcher will say, it looks like when you're exercising, uh, brain function in the prefrontal cortex enhances, therefore pop all your kids on exercise balls or give them walking treadmills during class and it'll help them learn. Not only A, is that totally impossible to do, but B, this human being clearly has never sat in a room with 25 kids on bouncy balls all at the same time. It's it's, it's not that they, they're very well-meaning, it's just they have no real clue about what it is teachers do. And unfortunately, most of them don't seem to be taking that journey into the classroom themselves so it's that's why i i consider myself kind of this bridge this translator where because i have knowledge of both fields Mm -hmm. i kind of spend my time in that gray zone where i try and say i know what you're both saying and let's see if we can't marry those two together at some level
0: it's about teachers being able to find the right context for when the elements of the research actually does work isn't it
1: bingo and then you'll be you'll be shocked at how many if you just go go medical People think, well, medical research is good. No, it's all research struggles with translation. Uh, If you take a look at all the drugs that are developed every year, and there are thousands by these different pharmaceutical companies, all those drugs are developed using cells and tissues and little Petri dishes, cultures, cool. All of them work fine there. 90% of them, as soon as they scale it up and say, let's try this in an actual person or an animal, 90% become either inert or actively harmful. Yes. So you can assume 90% of every drug we've ever created doesn't jump between the lab and a person. And it's going and to be the same thing with that, academic research.
0: And this is why you have those stages of um, trials, isn't it? That you have your you know, your clinical trials and then you have your in-person yeah. trials, so to speak. And I think that's probably what we need in schools is we get so many teachers saying, well, here's the research so I can just do this in the classroom. But, you know how you do it in your classroom, with your pupils and for what purpose. And I think when you talk about translation, that, that is obviously where we're focused as well as helping teachers to do that translation themselves. But yeah. the the process of learning is, I mean, I, I was trying to think about this the other day, the, the whole the learning process and what it's like, what, what happens that, that trajectory. You know, the, yeah. this, there's this idea that learning is about committing information, knowledge, um, procedural knowledge, skills to memory, and then doing something with it. But it's much, much more complex than that, isn't it?
1: It can be. That, that, that's a very good, simple way to do it. But once you get nuanced, you start to see, yeah, there's a lot more to it in terms of just steps where this becomes. If you think about it, I, I still, ha- I have no problem with the concept of internalizing embodying and then acting upon information that's kind of a good summary but yeah once you dive in but i think an important thing too before we dive in is to recognize one of the cool things we've learned about learning is this is that everyone learns in the exact same way yeah so once you understand the learning process that becomes applicable wherever you're at. And I'm talking ever since man first stood up right. Now people always get tripped up with that. They're like, oh no, but everyone learns differently. No, 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 no. The underlying process is identical. The things we might want to learn, the tools we might need to move through that learning process might be very different, but the process is the same. So once the more we can focus on that process, then we'll have a much better sense, a lens through which to interpret the behaviors up here. Um, And a good just kind of parallels to think about it like this is everyone digests in exactly the same way. The digestive system isn't magically different for different people. We all could choose to eat different things. Some of us can't digest certain foods. So we have certain preferences that we have and the things we put through that system. Mm -hmm. But the system is the same. And once you know the digestive system, you have a much better framework through which to make specific dietary decisions up here. And And that's where i think the learning process comes in good
0: we hear that so much it's you know oh well you know let's adapt this to suit the way that person learns and particularly in professional learning as if teachers learn in a different way to the children in their classroom and like you say it is the same trajectory it's about how teachers have to readdress some of the some of the research that's been out there previously things like learning styles and growth mindset and actually Mm looking at, you know, taking the elements of it and at what it, how it actually works in their context. And I think yeah. there's teachers tend to, schools and education tend to sit on, the, get on the bandwagon of these. Mm. Yes, <laughs> and I know you, you've probably yeah. got quite a lot to say about growth mindset. <laughs> oh,
1: don't, don't get <laughs> me started. We could have a whole session on that one. But it's, it's good. It's, I mean, think about it too. It's at, at a certain level, you can see where, where these things come from. Like if I have a blind student There's no way he or she is going to be able to read a book or look at my PowerPoint slides. So at one level, it looks like this person must learn differently than somebody else. And then you recognize that, no, this person might use different tools, but the process is going to stay exactly the same. So here's where, like, we could talk learning styles and all that stuff. That doesn't, you know, phase me one way or the other, but it's this idea that there's going to be somehow something inherently different about different students. And no, there somehow inherently isn't anything different about any of them. And once we can wrap our head around the process, then it's not a matter of adapting for everyone. It's a matter of finding what's the right, the best way through this process and then getting everyone on board with the understanding that two or three kids might have to go through the window instead of the front door, that's fine. But the rest of us, we're all gonna get in the same room in the end.
0: Exactly, and I think that the understanding what the elements of learning are and how teachers can support those le- those elements is yeah. really, really important. Could you just talk to us a little bit about the elements of learning In uh, you describe it as your learning trajectory? Because I think we want to get to a point where we can start to see um, this idea of you know traditional versus progressive, direct instruction versus inquiry learning and where they all fit together. Because it's, it's not really a, an either or, is it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you'll start to see that's, there was so much disagreement in the world, especially in the world of research, largely because everyone who talks about education does so from a definition of learning that is very narrow. At the end of the day, learning isn't a thing. It's not a moment, it's not an event. Learning is a process, it's a trajectory, it's a very long drawn out thing. But what happens is as a researcher, you can't talk to all levels of learning at any one time. I can't find one thing that works for a novice and someone who's been doing it for a hundred years. So what we do in research is you narrow in on just one aspect of learning you find answers there. And the problem is, is you then say, this leads to better learning. And you never qualify it by saying, this leads to better learning at this stage. This leads to better learning at this stage. So us as teachers, our job becomes to recognize, yeah, there's no one answer here. There is any, any school that I've ever worked with that says, we are a blank school, right? We are a visible learning school. We are a cultures of thinking school. We are a well-being school. I always laugh and I say, I'll see you in five years when your kids aren't learning because you can't be a school yeah. you got to be all them schools because all of those things are relevant at different times of learning if you only pick one thing and focus on that you're going to really narrow down what learning means and you're going to see dips in performance across the board
0: it's like having a what? varied diet you know obviously things like brown bread brown rice they're going to be good for you but if you only eat them then you're going to end up with deficiencies in other places yeah
1: and that's all, and that's and that's what you tend to see in these schools is, is they'll call after five five to ten years they'll say wait a second our kids aren't really progressing they'll say no because you you focus too hard you put all your eggs into a basket without realizing that our job is to collect as many eggs as we can and recognize that this basket is very long.
0: Sorry, can I just reference yeah. the curriculum for Wales here now because I think this is a an argument in Wales we had this whole thing about. Uh, knowledge versus skills and which were more important and what should schools be focusing on and it is both of them but the the idea that we've got a particular way of doing things that it needs to be pupil voice it needs to be pupil led and there needs to be inquiry learning that is only one element as you say of this much more varied diet and uh, you know what's right at the right time and having that uh, understanding that uh, the learning trajectory Is something that grows and develops as the understanding develops isn't it
1: bingo and i I think that's a a a good way now to 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 kind of let me lay this out for the listeners so you can start to piece these things together so and that's a great idea the the knowledge versus skills where does all this fit in ah so if you think of learning you can kind of break it into five chunks is what we'll say Okay. The first is what we'll call surface learning. And surface learning is just the pure input of facts. This is where you develop your knowledge. This is where you build what we call semantic memories for unique information, ideas, facts, relevant to whatever field it is you're learning. And believe it or not, a lot of people think, well, this is the boring step or this is the step we can most often skip because hey, we got Google. Why do we need to memorize or learn any of these things? (laughs) A sad, well, not a sad, but a scary, no, not even scary. An interesting blip of human cognition is everything we do hinges on our long-term memory. Every skill we have, every ability we have, I don't, we're the most creative, the most critical thinking, whatever you wanna say all these skills are, all of those skills emerge from the information we have in our long-term memory. If you do not have facts or skills in your, or excuse me, facts or knowledge within your long-term memory, then there is no skill to emerge. There is no creativity to be had. This is why Michael Jordan can be creative as heck on a basketball court, but if I ever brought him into my lab and said, I need you to dissect this brain, but think of a new way to do it. You have no clue. Why, because he's not creative? No, because step one of all learning is facts, knowledge, surface learning. If you skip surface learning, nothing happens really after that. There's a lot of busy work. Kids will do a lot of stuff, but they won't learn a ton of stuff. So this is where you start to see if all learning begins with information, with facts, and the semantic creation of semantic memories of those facts, then something like direct instruction makes a whole heap of sense at this stage of learning. Something like uh, recall quizzes or, or um, retrieval practice makes a whole heap of sense at this level of learning. But it's important to recognize that this is now not where learning ends. Once you get past the surface stage, you now move through what we call three levels of deep learning. Yeah. So just to be simple, we're going to call them deep one, two, and three. Cool. Deep one learning is, well, actually, let me just say this. So if surface learning is predicated on facts, deep learning is predicated on concepts. What a concept is is that simply how are you organizing facts? It's it's organizing principles. It's like a circle, a line, a box we draw around a set of facts in our long-term memory that helps us systematize, organize, make sense of how they stick together.
0: May I just so ask we, at this point, yeah, when you yeah. say organizing facts, these you know the, these concepts, is this what people often describe as schema?
1: Yep, absolutely. So a schema is nothing more than a linking of ideas, of facts, of memories, which in itself becomes a concept. So a concept is just a linking together of facts. So this leads to a very interesting thing worth thinking about. We won't go deep into this, but facts, surface learning, by its very nature, facts are binary. They're on, off, they're right, wrong, they're yes, no, they're black, white. When I ask you what the capital of Australia is, it literally doesn't matter what word comes out of your mouth. It's either going to be right or it's going to be wrong concepts, because concepts are simply organizing principles, they're schemas. How are we tying these ideas together to make bigger patterns? Concepts are not binary. They can never be right or wrong, on or off, yes or no, because they're not even things. They're nothings. They're simply organizing principles. It's like saying a Venn diagram is wrong. No, a Venn diagram is just a diagram. The information inside the Venn diagram, the facts could be right or wrong, but the diagram itself is not right or wrong. So if you ever wanna test deep knowledge, conceptual understanding, it can't be done with a yes, no test. If you have a test or an exam or an assessment where there's a very specific answer you're looking for, you're only ever looking for surface knowledge. And that's fine. That's a key component of learning. It's not a problem. It's just, we can't ever mix that up and say, I'm testing deep learning now. I've got a standardized test of deep learning. Anything that's standardized, you're not looking at deep learning because there can't be a right or wrong there. So just to kind of, for people who are trying to wrap their heads around that, If you get a PhD, you'll still to this day, you'll have to do a two to four hour defense of your PhD. That's your final thing is you just sit there and you talk for four hours with people about your topic. They do this because that's how they assess your deep knowledge. They don't come in with a priori ideas of what they need you to say. They wanna hear how you're tying things together. And it takes two to four hours of just talking to you for us to suss out, oh, I see how you've pieced all this together. Rock and roll, that sounds beautiful. Off you go, you have a PhD doesn't matter if I agree with you or not, because there's no right or wrong here. I just need to get how you're thinking about it. So that idea of a dissertation, that's a good example of kind of this, how do you look at deeper learning thing?
0: So if we were talking about this in in a classroom uh, situation, we've got the surface level learning, which is direct instruction fits really nicely with that. We've got retrieval practice. We've got those kinds of things going on at that stage. But then when you're starting to think about building schema, building um, conceptual understanding in the Welsh curriculum, we have uh, what's called the what matters statements, which kind of underpin everything, which are conceptual. We are talking about things more linked with inquiry learning and those kind of exploratory um, processes as opposed to kind of transmission processes.
1: Bingo. Here's where if you, if you had to sum up deep learning, it's in what it does is it's thinking, here's where you think you've taken all this time to put a bunch of information into your head. Deep learning now says, cool, what are you going to do with it? And you start to see that's where inquiry project-based learning comes in. Project-based isn't good for teaching kids facts. Like we we did this at university. Um, The uni I work at turned the medical school went project-based from day one. They're like, hey, project-based learning is good for learning. Let's let's do that here. So medical students from the very first day were getting symptomologies, and they had to diagnose things, and they were getting just, and it was like, cool, solve all these problems. And as you can imagine, learning during those two years tanked. It was so <laughs> bad. Yeah. Uh, to, to the point where it's scary, where if you see people with that If you go to a doctor and they have the degree from our school on their wall from that year, I'm like, no, go away. (laughs) Can I see another doctor, please? But what happened was they they said, okay, they finally came and consulted us. And we said, no, those kind of project-based learning that's done for conceptualization. You, you need the knowledge first, trying to just explore ain't great for learning. If that were the case, then as soon as we all had computers, we all would have become geniuses, Hmm. but no, when all you have is information and facts, People don't really know what to do with it. Looking through it doesn't help me organize it, make sense of it. So what they do now at my uni is year one is front loading. It's just dissect a cadaver, learn, 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 do those memorization of your textbooks. Kids still hate it. But then year two, they start project-based learning with the idea that these projects are helping you organize all that information you now have in your brain. It's not meant to teach you. It's meant to help you think about this stuff. Ah. so now we get into deep learning so if deep learning is concepts you've got three levels of deep learning deep one is concept formation this is where we actually form our categories around our facts and we start to see what are the bigger patterns so here here's where things like summarization um concept mapping uh the ability to write headlines or turn something into a tweet or active reading that's where all these things come on we're doing taking all this information and we're trying to see what's the bigger pattern, how does it all glom together? Deep level two then is once you formed your concepts, now you've got to change your concepts. Now you've got to recognize because concepts aren't real, they're not a thing, you've got to be able to contextualize them. The same concept on Monday could be these facts, but on Tuesday over here in this county, it could actually be these facts. But on Wednesday over here in New Zealand, it could be these facts. Concepts change, even if facts don't, concepts, can move, can me- can bend, can morph. So yeah. this whole level of learning then is, now that you think you've got it all set, how are you gonna bend and play with your concepts? Yeah. Here is really where things like debates and a lot of that kind of counter example stuff will come in is kids are doing well, we've got a um, project going. So like, let's let's say we're doing a project where the school has a big table And every kid has an avatar and all we do every day is one hour. We're developing a world and we're applying our knowledge that we're learning to this world. What deep level two would be after a couple of weeks, kids are building a world. They all have jobs. Maybe there's money and they're all having a good time. And the teacher says, "Uh oh, hurricane and just blows over half of the stuff. (laughs) Now, what are you going to do with all your sewage and plumbing? Yeah. It's the counter example where you've got all these concepts and now you recognize it doesn't fit every context. How do yes, I start that, to move it?
0: That is something that I think we're all actually experiencing at the moment. Everything we thought we knew about the way we do our jobs and the way we work with um, other people, we've had to reconceptualize all of that and think about, well, let's do it a different way because we have obviously a global pandemic. So there's a really good, you know, and real life example of what you're talking yeah, about. I mean, what you,
1: you see that the concepts themselves don't change. What changed is the facts you're putting inside of those concepts. You now have to start rearranging information yeah. to better fit the same concept. What is teaching and learning? Those are just concepts.
0: And I think that's really interesting when we're thinking about um, Wales, particularly, but also uh, the UK. I mean, if you look at Edu Twitter um, in the UK, it's it's uh, a massive thing. And you get these constant arguments between traditionalists and progressives that that you know it's uh, well no it's direct instruction and it's knowledge that's what's really important or you know progressive is no but it's project based learning and it's you know inquiry and um, discovery of learning for the children and actually it's both, and it's it it's is, getting to a point where we can have both but at the time that it's most appropriate yeah. for where the children are.
1: Yeah, that's what what you tend to see is the people who are really pro knowledge um, the direct instruction people, they're absolutely spot on. And the kids who go through that will get good grades and they'll pass standardized tests. That's fantastic. If you want to move deeper, you don't necessarily have to at school come uni, come the real world. You'll wish you would have spent a little bit more time in deep because you'll realize, dang, I got a lot of information, but I I haven't really quite figured out how to play yet. So once you recognize that, yeah, you, we start there, but we don't stop there. That's when now the, the, the more progressives come in and start to say the play base the exploration yes that makes sense after you do stage one once we bring those two together and recognize there are just multiple stages of learning and we can take kids through them all that's when you see there is no debate we just gotta say when's the right time for which tool
0: i think that's what's really missing though in, particularly in the education in wales isn't it it's that joined up thinking yes of, of the whole process yeah. and when we're thinking about curriculum design because obviously we the, the Curriculum for Wales Bill just got passed yesterday in the Senate in our, uh, in our Parliament. So it is now going to be law and it's all going to happen in September 2022. But when teachers are thinking about designing their curriculum, they will have to think, as you say, about all of the knowledge that needs to be in place so that then pupils can start to conceptualise. And it means making room in their curriculum for those things to happen and ensuring yeah. that there is space in their curriculum for those things to happen, that they're actually building in the time for that. So that's a-
1: What you'll start to see is, is that was the big problem with, uh, I don't mean to call them out, but the IB, the International Baccalaureate, when they came out is they went pure progressive and they, they only devoted time to the exploration stuff. The idea being that the knowledge will come through the exploration, but of course it didn't, it never can. It's a, the, one of the hardest ways to learn anything is to just jump into the deep end and be like, Now it all makes sense. (laughs) And so what they recognize over the last about five years is now they're starting to pull out and they're like, wait, we've actually got to explicitly have time for direct instruction for the content learning and then somehow still chunk out the time for the project-based stuff. And they're doing a real good job. It's not impossible. It's just, you just, you have to think how do we piece these things together and make sure that each has its own zone, its own living, breathing time in our school. So we're not just cramming through one and never get to the other or only focusing on one and hoping that it covers both blocks uh yeah, no, it's yeah. just something we ought to think about building together
0: and it's i mean it's, it is explicitly stated in curriculum for wales um back in the uh 2015 when we had the report come out from professor graham donaldson who said quite clearly that there needs to be a range of teaching approaches including direct instruction and uh, all of the other um types of approaches types of pedagogies that there are it's, a, it's about digging deeper into that sentence though, isn't it? And, and getting schools to realize yeah. what does that actually mean? And I think the conversation with you today, you know, is really starting that journey for, you know, it clarified such a lot of things when we we sat in on one of your uh, webinars a couple of weeks ago, and that really just solidified exactly what we were, yeah. we were thinking and, and talking about over the last couple of yeah. years really, isn't it?
1: That's always been the, the hard thing is, is I think a lot of people say, look, it's all important, but without a map, yeah. then all teachers just go, well, I guess if it's all good, then I can just select one and go with it. Yeah. And when you realize that once you start to get a map, you start to recognize it's all good at certain times. Yeah. Yes. And then you have a much more nuanced, appra- it's not just, well, they're all good. It's like, no, no. When are they all good? And you have a better sense of when to and use them all.
0: Teachers understanding when they do particular activities or things with pupils, they know why they're doing it and the reason how it why it works and what they're trying to do with it. Yeah.
1: Boom. Inform, form. And that's, I, I think a big thing, especially if you're getting a new curriculum, as you move forward is to always remember that motto, that form follows function. Mm-hmm. Always start with that kind of end game. What is it we're trying to achieve with this activity, with what we're going to do today. And if you're at deep two, it could be, Hey, you know what, all I want them doing is I want to be breaking their concepts today. Mm-hmm. In which case now you start thinking about what tools do I use to do that? When you know what your outcome is, then you go back to your toolkit and say, sweet, what aligns? Direct instruction? Done in this case. Uh, um, I don't know, see, think, wonder thinking routine? That doesn't in this case. What do I got that actually fits here? Start with your function, not with your tools, and then all the form will just start to fall in when you know exactly what it is you're trying to hit.
0: And I think this is, for teachers in Wales, this is, has to be the start of the conversation about what the learning trajectory looks like, how that fits with assessment and how uh, it fits with learning objectives. And um, it'd be great to talk to you about that, but I'm not sure that we've got time to get into all of the the elements of that today. But just to kind of finish off here, if you were to suggest a key piece of professional learning that teachers in Wales uh, should uh, have a look at, think about as they embark on curriculum design, what do you think would be the most important thing for them to consider? And, you
1: know, oh. small question here. <laughs> Yikes. No, this is this is good. The, my answer is going to be tricky in the sense that there's not a lot on it. So <laughs> there's okay. there's not like one good PD you can go to and go look at this. And in fact, most people are struggling with it. But it's the one thing that I, I think is the most important thing to think about. And it's, it's transfer. Right. Um, and that's it. Because if, if you're moving to a new curriculum genuinely, it has nothing to do with the curriculum. The the, yeah. the government isn't changing curriculum because there's something new and important to learn. They're changing a curriculum because they think this is going to give us better transferable skills. Yeah. Kids are going to leave school with the ability to do more stuff. So all they care about is transfer. That's all anyway. That, to be fair, that's me as a teacher. That's what I care about is transfer. Sure. I love that you can do something in my class. I really don't care. I want you to be able to do that way over there. Yeah, the problem with transfer is... And here's the big secret, it's never automatic. Transfer never happens automatically. This is why when you got kids who can do math with numbers and as soon as you move to a word problem, er, they can't do it. I grew up driving in the US, as soon as I moved to Australia where the steering wheel's on the other side and I got to learn a stick shift with my left hand, er, I drive like heck. It's not impossible to transfer, it's just not automatic. It's a, there's a very specific process we have to go through and it's a conscious process. When we reach a new context and it's like, okay, I'm on my first job now, there's a process I have to go through to transfer to bring my skills online. Mm -hmm. So the more teachers can dig in and think explicitly about this transfer process recognize it's not gonna happen automatically. They can change the curriculum a million times and transfer will never magically come online. It's something we have to build into our daily routine, make explicit work with kids on all the time. Start thinking in that realm. How do I build transfer into everything I do and make that part of my day-to-day, explicitly yes. part of my day-to-day, so that kids, when they're leaving, they're talking about transfer. They're not talking about what they learned, they're not talking about, they're talking about transfer.
0: And I think that is, that is such an important thing and it gets to the, the crux of what education is about, quite rightly. you know, How many times have we been in schools and we're saying to teachers, no, what you need to be doing in your classroom now is making sure that your children, can fill in their tax return or they can you know interview for a job or they yeah. can you know do well in a job that they they want but not just in a job this is not just training children to be in the edu- uh, in the workforce this is to have a really yeah. successful life isn't that, that's yeah. one of the biggest um, quotes that ever comes back from businesses isn't it yeah. that pupils when they leave school they they can't transfer the skills that they've got in school. They feel like they've got to start again in the workplace. And
1: but that's the joke is they blame us. I do a lot of work with companies, and it's the same. It's they blame schools. They say, well, schools didn't do enough to, to prepare kids. And I say, no, 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 you didn't do enough to allow transfer to come into your workplace. What they yeah. do is they'll hire a kid and they'll, they'll give them like a two week onboarding program and say, all right, get to work. <laughs> no, no,
0: transfer is an explicit,
1: pro- I don't care how deep your skills are at university. As soon as you change context, there is a process you have to go through to yeah. bring your skills back online there. It's like, this is gonna sound silly, but I'm working on a on a documentary. Someone asked me to do a piece on genius Yeah, and I said, Cool. And they're like, you know a lot about learning stuff. I said, yep. Do you know a lot about genius? I said nope but I'll get it. They're like, all right, so cool. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. I said no, you'll talk to me in about four months. Yeah. Why four months? Because that's how long it's going to take me to transfer all of my skills and knowledge about learning and neuroscience into this very specific new context, which is genius and prodigies. Why is it going to take four months? Because I know how to transfer. And yes. because I know how to transfer, it's only going to take me four months. Whereas if I tried to half-ass this and went through a two-week onboarding and then just tried to, it takes, and we see this this data all the time. When kids move jobs, when adults move jobs too, they make it six months and half of them will get fired because they didn't show a single skill within those six months to come online. And the ones who actually do demonstrate success and bring their skills online takes them anywhere between 16 and 24 months, two years before they begin bringing on their skills. Why? It's because the job doesn't, focus on transfer. If you would give me four months at the front, after you hire somebody, give me four months, I'll get them up to speed in four months, transferred, ready to go, instead of two years where you're just trying to play with it and half-ass it, and maybe they'll get it. So once you recognize it's a process, it's a timely process in some cases, you can go through it a lot faster. Four months sounds like a long time, but it would take years otherwise. By giving me these this time now, you've just saved yourself a huge chunk of time at the end. Or now i'm ready to run you don't uh, have I'm to worry too. worry about a thing
0: that that makes me think about the shift for teachers from classroom practitioners to curriculum designers and that is mm. a, a completely different role and how i don't think there are a lot of teachers um, have been given the time to really get to grips with the curriculum design role we're probably one, talking while still teaching while <laughs> still teaching but that is a whole other conversation jared it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you this morning Thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us about learning and how it works. So thank you very much.
1: No, thank you guys. You guys have a good rest of your day.
0: Thanks Jared. I'm so glad we took the opportunity to go back and listen to Jared talk about how learning happens again. As Jared said, learning isn't a single moment. Let's get really meta here. Um, You need opportunities to go back and to Reconceptualize conceptualize and rethink your surface learning and, and deepen it. And we've we've absolutely done that today. I mean and what's interesting in this conversation is that this was more than two years ago as you said. And we were talking about the need for teachers to have a, access to research-informed approach to pedagogy. Um I'm not sure that we have that now. Um we've got a new education minister and all schools in Wales are implementing curriculum for Wales. But well we let's know. hope that by highlighting this fascinating podcast and giving um, our listeners an opportunity to go back and listen to it again or, or listen to it the first time if you didn't have to have an opportunity to first time round. hopefully people will be thinking a little bit more deeply about how learning happens and the implications for that what that means in terms of curriculum design and teaching in the classroom so What's coming up for us next before our next podcast? Well, yeah. by the time this podcast comes out, Finn, we would have been uh, we would have had a day at at Primary and dallas Primary up in Merthyr, um, looking at assessment, accountability, and progression, yeah, um, or assessment, progression, and accountability, depending <laughs> which, which way you want to look at it. We'll have been to T gross that's uh, right, in Carmarthenshire, following on some of our work that we've been doing with Carmarthenshire LA um looking at again questioning questioning, questioning which fits in with but also pedagogy yeah um, um, and we would have done our pedagogy at the heart of critical wells workshop which is our first first time we've done our new workshop which is which is quite exciting so it is so yeah. lots lots for us to do but we hope you've enjoyed this look back at the um the science of learning with um jared cooney horvath because he is fantastic very easy to listen to and uh, really good episode yeah take care okay bye now thanks for listening don't forget to subscribe to make sure you don't miss future episodes. You can find us online at www.impact.wales. You can also follow us on social media. On Twitter, we at Impact Wales. On Facebook and Instagram, search for Impact Wales. And on LinkedIn, search for Impact School Improvement.